Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. September 3rd, and you're listening to Board Gamers Anonymous! Today the Anonymous are gonna- Dan, 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 Dan. No, no, no. Wrong podcast, man. But, but, no? No, no. This is Board Gamers Anonymous. Uh, this week we're looking at the Game of Thrones card game. We're also looking at Castellan, the new Steve Jackson game, Timeline, Guilds of Cadwallon, and Munchkin Legendary. I'm your host, Anthony. Hi, I'm Chris. This is Kim. And I'm Dan, and I may have a lawsuit pending soon. <laughs> He may is bad. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is episode three. Uh, today is the third when we're recording this. We are going to talk today about the Game of Thrones card game, which we have actually played probably a lot more than other games that we've reviewed recently. Just to start things off today, we're going to talk about the uh, Seven Wonders tournaments coming up, and uh, we have a date. So if you're listening and you're not already at Married All the Time looking at the uh, slide on the wall, it's going to be on September 29th, Sunday. Um, do we know what time that is? Typically, they're usually about 4 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Okay, so probably around 4. If you get there a little early, couldn't hurt, you know. Give hey. or take when Paul remembers that he's having a tournament that day, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. if we're not keeping him busy with Nurishima Hex. That's right. Like, until like 5, like last time. <laughs> I do like that the, the Seven Wonders is going to be the tournament game this time, because with the expansion on the horizon, it'll be fresh in everyone's mind. That announcement just came out. They'll be Jones in to get that new expansion once it drops. I think it's going to be at the end of this year, actually, right? Uh, you know, I hadn't heard of that. What's what's the new expansion going to be? They gave very little details, but they mentioned that one of the new mechanics will be cards that affect everyone at the table instead of just you and your adjacent neighbors. So they were kind of covering up uh, too much. They didn't want to spoil too much at Gen Con, but I am looking forward to see what they give to that game. Yeah, definitely. And actually, well, this is actually, I think, I mean, our first tournament game that actually uses something called strategy. Yeah. yeah. 
No so what? Dixit. Yes, it's a wild concept. I mean, sure, we went oh, hours and hours over the Dixit mm-hmm. strategy, but you know, I'm Love looking forward. Strategy. I'm looking forward to when we have our coin flipping. Who is the first to get ten heads? Game. That's gonna be. Yes. That's gonna be a great tournament. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what number it'll I'm thinking st- about? It'll still manage to be four and a half hours long. <laughs> <laughs> like we'll all cry when we see quarters in the future. <laughs> no more quarters. <laughs> so if you look, if you like. Um, you like Seven Wonders and you never want to be able to play it again, come to the tournament because it will be six or seven hours of Seven Wonders with, you know. And where is that tournament going to be again, Chris? That's going to be at Myriad Games in Staten Island, New York, 1650 Richmond Avenue, Dan. Who still has yet to sponsor us, but we love the place anyway. We do. <laughs> it's our local friendly game store, so please support your brick and mortar store. This week, I have, I just saw this on Board Game Geek and I thought I'd run down it because it's kind of cool. Uh, and there's a bunch of games in here we've actually played recently. So it's the top-selling games of August, according to who added it to their collection on BoardGameGeek in that month. So how accurate it is, who knows. At the top of the list, and this was actually a game I wanted to talk about later for Acquisition Disorders, because it just looks cool in that little chest, is a Dungeon Roll. Oh. Yeah, and so I know a lot of people got it off Kickstarter. Um, I think 1,300, 1,400 people added it to Owned last month. Um, so it's, it looks cool. I don't know very much about it at all. But I want to play it anyways. When you say chess, are you saying it's supposed to be like a treasure chest? Yeah, yeah. What? Like Zelda style, you know? Oh my god, now I have to play this. Yeah, I don't even know what it does. And, and yeah, with the size of it, I saw that. I'm like, we should put the coins for Game of Thrones in. Yeah. <laughs> Just buy the case and throw the <laughs> game <laughs> out. <laughs> Drop it in a dumpster on the way out. I don't care. I got this box now. <laughs> Yeah, I heard the game's a little thin, so it, you know the purchase just might be for the box at that point. Yeah, it might be. I don't know what the like the buy-in was either on Kickstarter. I think it was fifteen for the Kickstarter, and now it's twenty retail. Okay. But I think on Kickstarter you got a special, a special little box instead of the standard box that's out now. That's not bad. I think we saw it this past Sunday, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. the uh, one of the stores we visited in Jersey had the special. It said on the bottom Kickstarter edition. Kickstarter. Edition. So, I don't know if they did that the retailer package. Um, but yeah, that looks cool. I don't know anything about it, but it looks cool. So, judging the book by its cover. Um, then there's a Love Letter number 2. We know that's true, because I don't know a single person who doesn't own that game. Do sure. you? Right. No, I think we own multiple copies, and uh, especially our friend Earl, who owns more and more every day, and seems to be passing it out. So, clearly he's working on behalf of the company. Yeah, and right. <laughs> they just re-released at Gen Con the... Uh, the Japanese version, so it's it's very similar to the original Love Letter, but I hear it's a totally different game. This is what I hear. So it's it's different. Your minister plays a different role. So typically in the regular version of Love Letter, um, you know when you have the seven when you have the seven card and the six or five comes out, so you you have the countess and either the king or prince comes out, you have to discard, you have to discard the count the uh, countess, but the minister. Um, he's a 7. So if you get any other card that equals or goes over 12, so once again, the 6 and the 5, you're out of the game automatically. So it adds a little bit of a surprise, blow-up-in-your-face kind of situation. Isn't there, I heard there was a card that, instead of the highest card winning, there's a card that makes it the lowest card wins? I've heard someone mention that. Um, that might be Chronicle. Chronicle. No, because that's what... That's what uh, somebody said that made the game different. Because instead of the highest person winning, the lowest person wins. I think we're going to have to take a play of that game and take a look. I mean, it's totally different, so we're going to have to relearn the basics, but I'm in. Yeah, I mean, I played the Japanese one once, and I think two or three times I got dinged by the minister. I I know that's 
I, I don't know. I don't like it, but... I like the Japanese version. The The art is, is different. Um, we talked about Chronicle last time, and it has that same sort of artwork, so... Um, you know, you like it or you hate it as far as the artwork's concerned. I like the, I guess, I like the um, quote-unquote American version, the artwork at least. Um, but I do like the whole fact that there's a different way to play the game. And uh, our friend Andrew was nice enough to bring me back a copy from Gen Con. So yeah, I do want to play it. Yeah, so I'm hoping to break that out soon. And uh, maybe we can make a comparison, which one we like better as far as the play's concerned. Do you know if uh, it actually still has the Japanese characters at the top for the card names too? Because I thought that was pretty interesting when I saw the import. As far as like the language? Yeah, for the American version. I, I think they, they corrected that. Earl had a copy where it actually had the Japanese um, language, but it had like a little piece of paper he was able to put kind yeah, of over it. That. Yeah, yeah. But so when he bought that copy, he was able to kind of slip something in there. Yeah, yeah. I know I what you're looking at. I still want to make my Battle of Galacta letter. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and it's pretty amazing. These micro games have really taken over, you know, everyone's attention. Just a nice, quick little game that you can kind of throw out, very few components, easy setup time, easy breakdown time. Everyone enjoys it, and you can kind of move on to other things. So there's Pandemic, obviously, with the new expansion out uh, in the lab. Settlers of Catan, which is never going to go anywhere. Um, King of Tokyo, which I know we want to talk about. It hasn't quite made it to our table recently. I think we all burned out after the tournament. But um, that's up there, and that's got a... Uh, is that a new expansion coming out soon? Yeah, there's actually um, two expansions. So the first one that's coming out this October is a Halloween expansion. So you will actually get two new characters, Halloween-themed. And they have a new set of Halloween-themed dice and um, new cards that will actually give you, instead of powers, it will give you costumes. Hmm. So you can get the zombie costume, which means if you get killed, you can come back from the dead. But the costumes can kind of get traded around and played out. And uh, Yeah, I think it's just like how in the first expansion, three hearts and you can take an upgrade for your character. I think it's like three claws and you can actually steal the costume from somebody else. Like you tear it off of them or something. That's great. So that should be pretty fun. Yeah, and if you haven't played King of Tokyo, it's a lot of fun. It's a very simple game. You have a little tiny board, which is the king, which is Tokyo. Each person has a monster, and it's basically a Yahtzee mechanic. Um, so if you ever like rolling dice, big, nice, big, chunky dice, um, you get to score the most stars to win the game. You knock everybody else, or you can knock everybody else to win the game, and that's pretty much it. The expansion added cards for powers, and obviously this one's going to have costumes. And then we hear there's going to be another expansion that's going to be coming out soon afterwards, where it's actually going to be a full box. Mm, and yeah. there's only rumors right now what that's going to be, but it's maybe some team play. Um, if we looked at the expansion cards, there was little symbols like, you know, these were the aliens, these were the monsters, and things like that. So there should be something nice and dramatic coming out pretty soon. Yeah, and the one thing I still love is with our friend Andrew getting to go to Gen Con just based on winning the tournament for King of Tokyo. That was awesome. Yeah, he pulled, he pulled third place. He pulled third place, and he got king of New York. Yeah. You know, so it's like, you know what, we got a population of over 7 million. You know, some guy from Ohio, who cares if he's the king of there? You know? yeah. <laughs> I'm king of New York. Seriously. And that was that was created by Richard Garfield from uh, Magic fame, so it's a good game. You should definitely check it out. Absolutely. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, number six on this list is uh, Lords of Waterdeep Skullport. Oh. You know what we think of that. Fantastic. The game is amazing. Uh, then we have Android Netrunner Creation and Control, which is the uh, newest expansion for that. Uh, Dominion, the first deck builder, really. Not the first, but like the one that basically kicked off this whole craze. Uh, Seven Wonders, which if you have, want to play, learn, etc., we're going to be, again, tournament in three weeks. And then a Robinson Crusoe, The Adventure on Cursed Island, which was uh, 
released at Gen Con by Z-Man and uh, basically sold out instantly. So that that's a pretty good game, too, I've heard. Not played it yet, because then we have it. But. Yeah, exactly. I've, I've heard a couple of things about the game, and I haven't seen it anywhere, but I'm curious as to what it plays like, you know, what the components are like. I haven't really got to see anything about that game yet. Yeah, we got to bug Brian, because he bought the only copy that Paul got in. That like, the true. day he got it in. I saw him buy it. I was like, <laughs> bring the game in, man. <laughs> I want to look at that. So, And I'm sure, I'm sure he will now that he's listening to this. Um, <laughs> so that, that was the top ten in August. Uh now we want to talk about stuff that actually just came out, so that might be the top ten in September, and uh, these are all out, correct? Yeah, these are all out as of today. All right, cool. So we're going to run down some of these. Uh, they're brand new, just hitting the market. Um, I believe the first one is, uh, I want to say it's pronounced Yidos. Am I right? Yeah, I believe so. Yidos by Pandasaurus Games, uh, which is supposed to be like a work replacement. A work replacement. Um, another one is Castaways by Passport Game Studio, who publishes Takedo. And, uh, Pandemic has a new expansion out that you've mentioned before. Yeah, um, Anthony mentioned it was in the top ten. I can see that In the Lab is definitely going big. You know, anytime there's a new expansion, that's when people are like, oh, maybe I should finally pick this game up. Yeah, and I think it has new ways to get the cures. Yeah, you can actually go in a new board zone, the lab, to research and break down components and such. That's a great game. Okay, so we're also looking at uh, Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, Rise of the Rune Lords. The uh, the base game and the first expansion will run you probably about $80 for both, and um, that's by Pazo Publishing. Um, we had a chance to take a look at the basic demo version of that. Um, really interesting. You actually get to role play with just a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to pick different characters. A lot of fun, and we're looking forward to reviewing that in the future. And uh, Isaac Vega of Plat Hat Games is bringing us Bioshock Infinite, The Siege of Columbia. So if you had a chance to play Bioshock Infinite, this is the game for you. If you haven't played Bioshock Infinite, why not? You really need to play it because it's one of those great games. I just got to say, I don't know if people who play Bioshock Infinite would kind of go towards this. Only because if you love playing Bioshock Infinite as Book of DeWitt... You probably won't like this game because you're not going to be Book of DeWitt. You're going to be the evil characters. Unless you're into that. Because I know people like that whole Cobra Commander feel. Or, yeah, I want to be Megatron. <laughs> well, the, reason, the reason I kind of like the idea is, uh, you know, when you're playing these heroes, you're running around smashing stuff, throwing people off of buildings. And you're like, I'm a hero. I'm a good guy. Then when you play this worker place, you're like, why is this jerk killing all my people? Like, he's, there's no reason for him to even be here. He came to my city. Why is he doing this? So I kind of like that feel. Yeah, I haven't played Bioshock Infinite yet, so it sounds awesome to me that the main characters are basically messing all your stuff up. But yeah. And there's a ton of minis in that game, so that's a lot of painting yeah, options, it too. Yeah, You know, like, I'm so biased now. <laughs> so that's that's an area control game. It's got card drafting, dice rolling. And it's about $85 out, out there right now, so take a look at that. See if you're interested. Yeah, um, another new one that uh, we've actually popped open and looked at now is uh, War Machine, um, High Command. And this is the deck-building debut from Privateer Press, who's really kind of just pumping out games lately, board games. Um, so that's huge. I mean, War Machine is massive. It's like the premier uh, miniature game right now, at least in our, around our store. So, uh, you know, definitely want to take a closer look at that. Probably will very soon. Uh, Giant Goblet and Games is debuting its first title, Storm the Castle. Um, and it's an action point allowance and area movement game. And I'll be honest, that's about as much as I know about it at this point. Uh, 
And then finally we got Dread Curse from Smirk and Dagger. Um, and this is actually sounds kind of cool because it's from a, you know, it's kind of that cutthroat caverns feel to it, which, you know, is it, some people love the game, some people really don't, and for very good reasons on both sides. But um, it's got auction elements and a little bit of a press-your-luck aspect. Um, so that, that should be fun. You know, if you like Cutthroat Caverns, it looks like it's going to be Yeah, it does look cool. interesting. And then um, Asmodee Games, they dropped Rise of Augustus. It's a strategy game that boasts a playtime of only like 30 to 45 minutes. And it's a price tag of thirty nine ninety nine, so that's pretty good. And it's two to six players, so if you're just waiting to do an in-between game, it could be pretty interesting. And um, Asmodee Games also made Seven Wonders, so, you know, they have a good reputation with that. And then there's another game, Wizards Brew. It's a little more, it's weighing in at fifty nine ninety nine, but it allows your alchemist itch to be scratched, and that comes to us by Griffin Games. Um, the design team is Alan Moon, who worked on Ticket to Ride. And, you know, that's a game that everyone has heard of, if not played multiple times. And Aaron Weissbloom, and he designed Cloud9. That one I haven't heard of much as yet, but I kind of like the idea. It's a game where you get to research components to form alchemic spells, and, you know, it's not exactly like that full Metal Alchemist. I would have loved a game based on that, <laughs> but it does look pretty interesting. I'm actually going to try to take a look. And then uh, one other title that did drop was City of Iron uh, from Ryan Lowcott of Red Raven Games. It's one of the few games that gives you the option of deciding on the market to either pick up machine parts or bottle demons. It's an economic and city building game. It's kind of lengthy. It's going to be like a two to three hour game, but I kind of like those every so often where you're like, all right, let's just invest some time, really you know, care about what's going on, be a little more strategic. And uh, that's some of the highlights that we got of what came out in the last couple of weeks. And now it's time for Acquisition Disorder Corner. What's got our eyes this week, guys? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been looking at the War Machine High Command. Me and Chris, you know, we got a chance to play that game. What did you think of it so far? It was interesting. You, you get four different factions, and um, you have the ability to kind of build a small deck together to um, battle each other. So we got to play just a demo, so it was a pretty short game, one-on-one, -on -one, and uh, it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I like that the book gives you a clear-cut demo version of the game inside of it where it's like all right you're getting these two guys these are your decks just go out and you know fight but the game looks amazing and i never played war machine this actually makes me almost want to jump in for that but i don't feel like dropping 700 dollars at once yeah yeah but well, it seems like their way of trying to kind of grab people like that who are going to like the theme of it but are kind of wary of the cost yeah and i'm hoping it's 45 dollars. i'm hoping the reverse happens where it's like hey man you play war machine why don't you come check out this deck builder i think you're gonna like it maybe get a couple of the guys that play the miniature games into a few other board games for you to play so it definitely looks nice yeah it could be a gateway both directions yeah. and the art is awesome i do love the art on those cards and it's, an it's another one of these the trend towards these hybrid games where you're trying to bring different um, areas together that they haven't played before. So it might be a big success like Lords of Waterdeep or could it be just the opposite? Maybe the miniature players are not going to come over, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to know because, I mean, those guys spend a lot of time on their miniatures. It's, you know, it's one of the reasons I think I've stayed away from it other than costs. It's just I don't want to only play miniatures. I like board games. And one other thing that does look interesting in that card game is just like how War Machine can be played against Hordes, they're making a Hordes high command where you'll be able to do the same. That's smart. Sucking you in. Absolutely. Hey, they'll get my 90 bucks. I don't care. <laughs> All right, so what's uh, what else is on the um, the radar this week? Um, the Bioshock um, the Bioshock Infinite board game came out. 
we the components look awesome i haven't got a chance to actually play the game yet but i definitely am looking forward to trying that out this week too uh it's two to four players so i kind of like that that we can all play together actually get some team verses for a change instead of this usual free-for-all then chris just sweeps in and murders everyone and wins it's a nice little change of pace maybe i can be on the winning team i like that idea you know try something different there are why, two teams. Why, why change what works <laughs> and that is true actually we can always do uh, what happened with um, Boss Monster and have all three of us go against you and still lose that was fun <laughs> and one of the other games that we saw uh, at Myriad this, this past week was Nothing Personal by Tom Vassell and what was interesting about that is we haven't had a chance there's only been one copy in the store so we haven't had a chance to um, break that out yet but man is that game heavy and if you ever listen to Dice Tower they're always talking and especially Tom Vassell always talking about quality components Seriously, pick this game up just to ca- to feel the weight of it. Everything must be really high quality because that game weighs so much more than the size of it. Yeah, so, I mean it's huge. It's you know, and you told me to pick it up, and I, I still didn't expect it to be that heavy. It's like, what's in here? A lead weight? Yeah. And then we kind of walked around. We're like, hey, does this game weigh more or less? And like every game was weighed significantly less than, than nothing personal, which yeah. is pretty funny. And some of these boxes have like 800 cards in them. They still weigh less. Yeah, so. I think like that coffin box at Twilight Imperium weighed less, <laughs> and that thing can like fit a Volvo in it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, all right. I saw something that made me very sad this week. I saw Dan at the register with Mage Wars. No, uh, no, Dan, no. Yeah, yeah. No, why, why? Uh, Nick got another convert into the, the Nick! cult of the Mage Wars. <laughs> Damn you, Nick. Uh, it definitely, it's an interesting game. I got to only play, like, I played one full game, and it has a little of that feel of, like, magic and other collectible card games, except you're choosing what you cast instead of praying to God that the top deck is what you need. So it does have that element. Um, it also seems like the game where you can just get taken apart by someone who's very strategic and knows what every card does. But it does look pretty interesting. And I also want to give a special thanks to my friend Rob, who taught me the game. And he is another disciple of Nick's ever-growing army of Mage Wars players and buyers. So Yeah, Mage Wars, man. I mean, Nick and I were talking about this before he bought it, uh, back when we were playing Summoner Wars the first time through. And... Um, it was the conversation went like this. It's kind of like Summoner Wars, but it takes twice as long. And I was like, eh. <laughs> but well, that's I never mean, a good sales pitch. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's just it's so it sounds like it's very in depth. I haven't played it, so I'm not. It's the running joke is that this game is sucking people's lives away. Um, and every time we see Nick now, he's playing Mage Wars. And every time we see Rob, he's going through his Mage Wars cards, and there's increasing numbers of people in there with their Mage Wars that, cards. So. That is true, and Mira did have its first Mage Wars tournament, which is hopefully the first of many, so this way I can start winning! Chris doesn't play it! I have a chance! <laughs> I can bring home the title! Well, but, but, but we just had the tournament recently this past, was it Saturday? Yeah, yeah. This past Saturday, and we'd like to send a thank, uh, shout-out to our friend Rob, who won the tournament. Yeah, and when first any- time. And anytime a game like that has special promos or alternate art cards for winning, you're in. You have to. There's no reason not to. Why would you not want the card that has the armor that's blue instead of green or somebody yes. with wings instead of walking out? Like, you always want alternate art for your cards. Yes. There's only 100 of them at random tournaments throughout the Yeah. So, which brings us to our next segment the board game intervention. Dan. Dan, we need to talk. We don't have to talk. We care about you, Dan. We do. If you guys care about me, you'll buy Mage Wars. That's what Nick told me. No, Dan. <laughs> Nick, Nick is a bad man. A very bad man. He said you would say that, and then if somebody says those things, then they don't have Mage Wars, to call him or 911 immediately. 
you, you do realize Nick's not real, Dan. He's a figment of your imagination, Dan. Did I just get fight clubbed? A little bit. I think I did. <laughs> I bamboozled myself into buying this game. That but, wouldn't be the first time. <laughs> it is true. But, I mean, that's what happens when you guys leave me unattended. I play a new game, and then I have it, and then you guys are going to have to get it, because that's how it works. That's true. We got the text message the next morning. It's like, guys, guys, you weren't there to stop me. <laughs> I am a huge threat to myself when it comes to my wallet. Yeah. I feel like I should leave it at home, but, you know, I, I just hear them calling. Yeah. yeah. And we get a call from Paul. It's like, what'd you do to Dan? <laughs> Okay, um, so Mage Wars, I'm sure we got a review coming up soon. Yeah, we're going to have an unboxing video so you can see how it's worth every single penny and every minute of time. No, Dan, no! It's just <laughs> so good. Yeah, we'll be there. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I'm sure he'll rope one of us into playing at some point. Can't help, can't help but do it. Uh, so there's a couple more games that I know are on the radar. Um, I know, Chris, you mentioned Lost Legends and Winter Tales. Yeah, definitely. Um, Lost Legends is, is um, brought to us by Queen Games, and it's a really interesting game. Um, a lot of people are comparing it to Seven Wonders because it has that deck-building um, element to it. Um, I'm sorry, not deck-building, we're looking at card drafting. So what you do is you have a character in front of you, so you'll have a mage, an archer, a warrior of some, of some stance. You have this large card in front of you, which will have your stats, and it'll keep track of your health, your magic, your all your different abilities, and as the um, cards go around, you'll be able to draft a card from there to add certain spells, abilities, weapons, and the other side of the card, if you turn the card upside down, you can tuck it under your, under your character board and actually show that you've trained. So if you've ever played Seven Wonders, it's very similar where you tuck your card to actually build your wonder. And then you'll be able to fight uh, deck of monsters. And there's a lot of different mechanics to it, but it's gotten a lot of good buzz. The artwork is really nice to it. And uh, it's another really kind of transition game between your D&D and more of your board gamers. Yeah, I think we got to stop the podcast now because I want to play this. This sounds yeah. awesome. I want it. Well, it's still in pre-order, so it, some people did kickstart it last year, so lucky them. Um, so hopefully looking forward to getting that. I'm definitely going to be picking that one up for sure. Yeah, you know, you say Seven Wonders with fantasy themes, and I'm like, oh, oh, come like, on. Yeah, like D&D Wonders. I'm in. Yeah, yeah, because Seven Wonders is a great game, but sometimes you're like, eh, I'm not into pyramids today. No, I mean, does, does this game only allow you to attack monsters that are either to your left or right? You can't just... Yeah. <laughs> the person across the table, you're like, yeah, we're never going to interact with this game at all. It's true. And then one of the other games I'm looking at, and have been watching for quite some time, the art caught me, uh, was when I was traveling around uh, Board Game Geek, and that would be Winter Tales. Um, I believe this was originally an Italian game that was picked up by um, Fantasy Flight, so you know you're going to be good components. The artwork looks amazing. It's still a pre-order. And basically what you're looking at, Winter, uh, Winter Tales, it's a narrative um, board game of storytelling and fairy tale adventures. And it plays from three to seven players. And you have these different battling factions. So you have, um, you have the, the battle of spring versus winter. And you have all of these characters that you know from fairy tales, but in a very different way using these really interesting pieces of artwork where just by telling the story based on the artwork, it can mean it can mean one an arrow or it can mean um, a mountain. So it has a lot of different interesting aspects to it. So I'm waiting to see this one actually um, on a video or played, or hopefully we get it in our hands and we can play it. 
But uh, looks really interesting. Definitely worth a pickup. Yeah, it sounds great. You showed it to me the other day. And uh, just the whole idea of the fairy tale theme. Yeah, and the artwork, the artwork especially is very interesting. So uh, in Fantasy Flight, you can never go wrong. No, no. No, you can't. <laughs> Unfortunately. Because they're 14 games a year. That's extremely conservative, yeah. <laughs> um, I believe there's a Crossmasters expansion, is that it? Yeah, there's uh, four new sets coming out soon. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Give us your money. <laughs> <laughs> well, you figure at 28 a set, that's going to set you back uh, 112 bucks right out of the gate plus tax. I hope Ouch. you like the game. <laughs> yeah, the good news is you don't have to get them all. You know, is, it's, it's, yeah. You're yeah, not getting Pokemons on this, you know. Oh. <laughs> but they do look pretty interesting. And that's actually coming out in October, which is just mean. That's just mean to do. October's a tough month. What, what else we got coming out? Like Suburbia expansion? Suburbia expansion's coming out then. Uh, the Actually, Ascension, uh, which is one of my favorite deck builders, I believe at the end, towards the end of this month, they're having an expansion come out for the Rise of the Vigil. Of course they are. Of course they are. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. Seems like every major game release is packed into this three-month period. Yeah, it, it's it's a horrible, horrible window, too, because just everyone's buying, you know, for your wallet, and, you know, you just got to keep listening to the podcast uh, so we can always inform you as to what your best choice is yeah. for your game and down. <laughs> yeah, as we list off, like, 14 games that you absolutely have to buy, like, yeah, yeah, you need another job. That's... <laughs> well, here's how it's really Support bad. the habit. Yeah. Um, Myriad Games has reward levels that you can sign up, and it's basically you're noting you're paying this much in advance, and I signed up for Titanium, because it's like getting $50 free dollars worth of store credit. So it's not bad. It, it gives the store a good fighting chance against the online prices. Because, you know, you look at things, they're about 20 25% cheaper. Now you have an extra 15 store credit. It's worth it. And I got a text message from my bank going, did you charge $200 at a toy store? <laughs> like, first of all, it's a game store. Let's not be presumptuous. And then when I confirmed it, I got another text. Are you sure you charge two hundred dollars at a game store? And then I'm pretty sure after that I got another text. You're an adult, right? You know, you, did you steal somebody's credit card? That was a little rude, you know. Yeah, you got a judgmental bank. Yeah, it was. It was. It hurt. I'm not gonna lie. It did hurt. I had to actually delete that message just so I don't see it anymore. <laughs> at the table this week. All right, so this week I got to check out, uh, we got to play a few more rounds, actually, of Guilds of Catalan, which is a really fun game. It's for two to four players when you get out of the box. I lucked out. I found on eBay the Kickstarter exclusive, so we were able to bump it up to five to another five to eight players if we wanted to. And uh, it's really fun. It's like a simple placement game where, based on where in the city of Catalan, your guys are vying for different factions of buildings. Your goal is to try to get sets. This way you get higher victory points something we played a lot of. It's very easy to teach. It also gives action cards that let you manipulate the board. You'll be able to switch buildings or move an agent to another alley so you can try to sneak attack somebody to steal away the, what they've been working for. It's been one of my favorites. We got to play it a few times. Like Everyone here got to try it out. For me, this game is fantastic. It's definitely a must-buy if you're looking for a casual game, and the price tag is really affordable, which helps out a lot. Yeah, I mean, we played it the first time I wanted it, um, I got your extra copy when you got the Kickstarter version, so I now have it. Um, it. It seems to come out every time we have like 20 or 30 minutes, and we're just like, I don't know, what do you guys want to do? Or it's the night's almost over, we're like, let's just play one more game. And it's just because it's accessible, it's quick, it's fun, every game is a little bit different. I love those action cards, you can really mess with the board a little bit. Um, 
and I really like the whole idea of having like a different condition every game, you know, like this game, the militia's positive, not negative. So the whole game is different. Um, so I say buy it, I own it. So, um, yeah, it's what? a, it's a very simple game. You're just lining out the, the tiles on the board. So we were looking at, um, nine tiles, I believe. Yeah. Nine buildings, 16 alleys. Yeah. So you're able to place your little tokens in the alleys, which means that one card on your, the card on your right would empower the card on the left for you to pick that up. So if the card on the right was a three power, you would now have three power towards the card on the left. Now there's also there's also the vertical too. So up and down you have that. So you're competing for those cards, but so you're it's kind of area control in that kind of way. So it's pretty interesting. It's very light, very simple, very easy to get into. The artwork is really nice. Um, since the setup is pretty random, you always get a new board. And you're trying, it's set collection, so you're trying to collect certain guilds because the more of a guild that you collect, I think up to four, Dan? Yeah, there's four different sets. And yeah. then the militia, which is the penalty cards. Absolutely. So if you collect four of one guild, they multiply by the number of coins that you have on that guild. So it's really easy just to collect four of each or so. You can make a lot of points really quickly. It's really simple to jump into. Very colorful. Um, this is an absolute buy. Um, it's close to being an addiction. I actually tried to pick this up, too. We both missed a Kickstarter. Very sad about that. This was quite some time ago. And uh, trying to catch it on eBay, but have not been able to yet. I would have to say this is a definitely a must-play. Um, I like that you have these cards where when you're going to score, you can actually switch two different cards. Is that how yeah, it the action cards. Yeah. They let you manipulate the board. So if you know you're going to get a bad card and somebody else is going to get a good card, it's like, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to take the good card instead. So this is a, a must-buy, too. Plus, the miniatures are really cool. Um, there's this one that I'm always... It's a, like, Batman-ish type of guy. Yeah, it's so remarkably close that... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's a literal bat, but it's a man. Like, Batman, <laughs> but not Batman. Man-bat. Man, bat, but Batman. Bat has to go first. And uh, one other thing I do bat. love about the game is it almost has that suburbia element where you also get the secret contracts that can give you a few more victory points at the end of the game. So there's a surprising amount of layers for a game that's so simplistic. Yeah, the replayability here for a 20-minute game is ridiculous. Like, yeah. I still want to try it like with eight people and see how that goes, if it's just a big mess. or <laughs> Pure mayhem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dan, what did we have last time? Was it six people we were playing? We were playing with a larger group yeah, than we normally six. do. Yeah, we did We got to break out those Kickstarter exclusives. That was we got nice. Got to try out some new minis. And yeah, with the when you play that many players, we were doing the 4x4 four four grid. Yes. So that drastically upped the number of alleys. But it made it really interesting. And of course, the newest player at the table won. Yes, you know, uh, a new friend George joined us. And uh, he, he had been an old-time D&D player. And he was able to jump into this game immediately and win. So it just goes to show how easy it is to play. Yeah, yeah every every time we play it, someone else wins. It's not like someone's dominating this game because of some strategy they have that we don't, you know. So yeah, it's a great game. Oh, what I played recently, um, which I got a kick out of, was Timeline. By the way, Anthony, do you know when the invention of the bicycle happened? Uh, I'm gonna say er, late 18th century, 1790. 1790, no. In 1817. Dan, how about you? The invention of the equal sign. Did I'm it come say, before? 
the bicycle? After the bicycle? I'm going to say it definitely came before the bicycle, but I don't know exactly when. Yeah, it did come actually before the bicycle. And Chris, you got the hardest one. The All invention right. of the telescope. Ooh, that's a tough one. We, know, we definitely know we have Galileo. Yeah. So that's that's pretty old school. Um, how old school? Before the the equal sign? After the equal sign? I'm going to say after the equal sign. But what about the bicycle? Is it after the bicycle or before the bicycle? Well, that's hard because he had the wheels around for quite some time. So, hmm. I'll say the telescope came out first. Yes, you're right. Yes. So, not only did you learn a bunch of facts, you also now know how to play timeline. Excellent. Yep. See, it's that simple. Very easy. It plays two to eight players. Correct. And um, I know some people might be a little bit turned off because it's like, oh, you know, I don't, I don't know when uh, Albert Einstein created the atomic bomb or something like that. But it's not really a game for you to feel stupid, you know? Um, it's just like a fun little game. It's like, oh, look, I didn't know, like, uh, what was it? Uh, Lord, of, Lord of the Rings was published in 1954 or whatever. It's a cute game. It's just these little tiny cards that have just a little picture of what it is and the date. Mm -hmm. So it's really nice to break out, and you can kind of carry it anywhere. Yeah. And there's, uh, what, four sets? Yes. There are Science and Discovery... Uh, we have inventions, historical, and what's that last one? I can't remember the exact name of the fourth. I know it's like a more cultural relative. Yeah, it's more like paintings and books. Well, and... it has more like um, when Sherlock Holmes first appeared, mm -hmm. when Frankenstein came about, when the cell phone was first invented. So and the one thing good. I like is you can mix together all the sets so it does get a little weird because, you know, you're answering a few inventions and then an author question and then a discovery. Yeah. But it it also becomes a little more interesting. Like, even if you start to remember some of the dates, yeah. you know, you now can mix it up and enhance it. And the, it's great. The, it comes in a little tin with, like, a nice texture tin. I'm usually all about consolidating the game boxes, but, you know, it's a nice little package and it's, like, about $15. So it's a great little gift, you know, if you want to get somebody into a new style of gaming. And what's pretty cool is our friend Earl, we broke it out at Myriad. He was a little hesitant because he's like, I don't know history too well. That's uh, our friend Mike's... Yeah, uh, that's his expertise. Yeah. Yeah, he would destroy us in this yes. game. <laughs> he's not allowed to play. Mike, you're not allowed to play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, the, uh, but the nice thing about the game is you really don't, ha you don't have to know the year that the invention or the thing came out. You just have to know where to place it between two things. So... Especially early on, there might be like the invention of fire and the space shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you know, uh, space shuttle uses fire. <laughs> so when did the first television come out? I think it's about the middle in there. So yeah. some of them are easier than others. Yeah, we had a couple that was the same year. Like yeah, you know, they pop up. That was interesting. In like eighteen eighty something. I'm like I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you rate the game, Kim? Um, I would say it's kind of addicting. Even though I'm not a history buff or I really don't know anything about, like, math, I, I do pretty much enjoy this game because, you know, the cards are pretty cool. And it's like, oh, you know, I didn't know this. And then eventually it's like things get stuck in your head. So just out of nowhere, it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Lord of the Rings, 1954. You know, just that's now I remember it. 
So now whenever I have that card, I know. <laughs> you didn't realize you'd be learning. Yeah, right? It's fun. And Earl, like like I said, Earl, he was a bit hesitant. But after playing uh, one game, he was like, I want to play again. And after that, he wants to play again. And we got somebody else in. And it's just, I would say it was like a really fun party game. Yeah. Yeah, and it's quick. It's like five minutes per round. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say it's definitely a must-buy, too. We picked up two sets on, on the first go just to enhance, like, how much replayability and variety we had. And it is pretty fun, like, just getting those little facts noted, you know, like, when they came out. I would love it if they had a little more detail. Like, the telescope was not only invented in 1609, but it was invented by George R.R. R. Telescope. I don't know. Whoever, <laughs> whoever made it, you know, something like that would be great. But, yeah, I would say it's a definite must-buy. But the only thing is, then what if you have, who invented the wheel? Like, who knows who invented the wheel? Like, well, Kid I mean, Man Joe. But it would be nice to just have a little fact like, hey, if we didn't have the wheels, you wouldn't be able to drive to the store to buy this game. Just like a Snapple oh, fact on the cards would be yeah. enough, you know? A little flavor text, yeah, because it's just, you flip it over, it's just the year. Um, they're so small, though. I don't know if, like, adding flavor text would be, like, written really small. That's so. true. These are, like, Fantasy Flight. Yeah, well, Fantasy Flight gets a lot on those oh, cards. We play Rune Wars. Yeah. Actually, mm -hmm. wait, I just noticed this. It says on the very bottom, Isaac Newton. Ooh. So, and it also, it tells you who invented them. Like, the invention of the equal sign was Robert Recorded. I feel that much dumber having seen this thing. Yeah. <laughs> we take back We're what we said. We're pointing out negatives of a game that aren't there. <laughs> Never mind, it's a good game, buy it. <laughs> buy three now. <laughs> well, now I know who invented the bicycle. Can you read that name? That is really ridiculously tiny text. There's Same. no reason why you should you should have to know that. Long live Fantasy Flight! Seriously, <laughs> man. Even though they didn't make this game. No, it's Day, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like it. I'd say buy it. Um, I think it's a great game to have on the shelf for um, just quick party things. You know, friends, family come over, people who are not going to play Lords of Waterdeep. Um, you're like, you want to play a quick game that's not Monopoly? Or Uno, because aren't we all tired of Monopoly and Uno? Um, you know, this game is great. And it's not like Trivial Pursuit, where it's going to hit you in the head repeatedly if you don't know random facts about the 50s. Yeah, and I like it more than Trivial Pursuit, because you're not, besides not just sitting there getting destroyed by your friend that knows everything, it's not dice rolling and hoping. It's just, am I right? No? Cool. Next card, let's go. Yeah. It's if you lose fast. a round, it takes five minutes. You're not going to care. Yeah. <laughs> I, for me, I think this is a play. Um, obviously, as we just discovered, the text is really, really too small. Um, the cards are really tiny, too. It's it's almost surprising. I mean, the artwork on the tin makes me think it's for, you know, maybe junior high school, you know, somewhat young teens. It's definitely a game the whole family can play, um, so you can definitely jump in with that. But, I don't know, I think you have a storage, a storage solution for this. But beyond that, that tin is not really a good stackable kind of thing. It's yeah, it's like embossed on the top, right? It's, it's it looks raised. more yeah, yeah, it's more toy than it is game, and that's a shame though because I bet you could fit you know they could have had a pack or a combo kind of situation where you could buy all of them in one nice little box, mm -hmm. so you can kind of break that out too. What we did find was uh, with our two sets, we picked up just one of the standard deck boxes for Magic and the other collectible card games, held it perfectly. So it's a two dollar solution if you want to just ditch those tins. Yeah, that's good to know too because the cards, you know, it could become a mess if you try to if you're mixing them and you have two separate tins. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a shame because I'm sure those tins cost a little bit of money, and maybe that's what they did to bring the price the price point up to. Yeah, to justify a fifteen instead of a nine ninety nine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like to see it at nine ninety nine. It feels like a ten dollar game. So. It does feel like a ten dollar game. 
Oh. Especially with the size of the cards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're tiny. Yeah. I want my $5 back. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, like, every game, no matter what the price point is, the plays you get out of it are really the most important things. Oh, so yeah. if you get a ton of plays out of it, it's a really good thing. And speaking of card games, Chris, what did you bring to the table recently? Dan, why? Why would you bring that up here? Because I hate it so much. <laughs> you promise never to speak of this again. Well, at our local Myriad Games, um, we were we were pleasantly surprised to see um, a representative from Steve Jackson Games show up and uh, let us demo some of the newest games. And his name, as Earl would, um, as Earl called him, was Hey, 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 you, Steve Jackson guy, yeah, you, Steve Jackson guy, <laughs> what's your name? Now. I had met Sean, the Steve Jackson guy, once before, and I, and I did remember his name, but I did want to check with Earl and thought Earl was going to be somewhat, I don't know, normal, quiet tone, but I forgot it was Earl. So <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it got the guy's attention. It did get the guy's attention, and everybody else in the store, I yeah, think. <laughs> and he was nice. He came over. It wasn't like, what? <laughs> so one of the games that he was demoing was uh, Munchkin Legendary. So this is the new... Um, a new core set from Steve Jackson Games. And if you ever played the original Munchkin or any other Munchkin core set before, it plays pretty much the same sort of way. Um, we're looking at more legendary monsters, um, characters, and equipment. So you'll have you know King Arthur's sword with the stone still attached. You'll have the Golden Fleece. You'll have um, the Kraken. You'll have a lot of mythological characters and creatures to play as. So... It was pretty interesting, and he sweetened the pot by not only did we get a chance to play, but the winner got a signed card by Steve Jackson himself, who actually played that set, my friend. He played Munchkin Legendary. Um, what's a little difficult is Munchkin Legendary is only being carried by Target currently, so it's a Target exclusive. So, um, unlike the other games, if you want to get this game, you got to pick it up at Target. Sean did say eventually it would be released out to the wider market, so if you want to wait a bit, you'll definitely get a chance to play a little bit later. I also did mention um, a uh, Munchkin Adventure Time. Yeah, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of core sets and a lot of little 15-deck kind of expansions been popping up yeah. everywhere, so I think... Plus the legendary, we also got to play with the um, the dragon, the little fifteen card dragon e expansion that was was kind of s shuffled into the deck. Yeah, like uh, I saw one of the things was like the holiday dragon, where if it's between Christmas and like March third or something, he gets added power. I thought that was kind of cute. Like that was an amusing aspect. Yeah, uh, this is the first time I played Munchkin, so and probably <laughs> the most interesting way I possibly could have played because. Chris is probably the biggest Munchkin fan in the world, plus there's Steve Jackson autograph on the line. And then there's Dan. Yeah, and see, this is the thing. Like, I was so envious of you up until this week because you never played Munchkin, and I wished I could have that innocence and joy of my life back. But then you played it, and now now you know what terror is. Now, to be fair, one of, my, one of the first games that I ever played, um, like board games at this level, was Munchkin. Um, I was part of, a, part of another board game group in in New Jersey and broke out Munchkin. Never had seen the game before, knew about D&D, had played a little bit of that, was really familiar with the fantasy genre. And the great thing about Munchkin is it's funny. It's just two decks of cards. You're getting door cards and you're getting 
treasure cards, and you're able, as the game goes on, you're actually building a character. So the whole game is puns. So you actually have to take a look at the cards to really appreciate the artwork. Um, don't want to give it away, definitely take a look at it to, to get a feel for it and all the puns that come with the cards. It's almost a little bit of a spoiler. You definitely want to be able to pull the cards yourself then kind of spoil the fun of looking at them yourselves. But it's fun because you'll be able to build a wizard who's carrying this sort of funny weapon and has this kind of crazy armor and this kind of crazy shoes and and he's has all these kind of different abilities. And then you're able to draw dark door cards as if you're going through a dungeon and different monsters will pop up. And then if your pa total power is more than the monster's power, you defeat the monster, you get the levels, you get the treasure, and you can kind of move on from there. But as you're fighting the monsters, everyone can throw in stuff to literally, as the term suggests, munchkin you, try to you know stab your, your friend in the back, steal his treasure and kind of take the levels for themselves. Yeah, I mean, like, I feel like this game has more betrayal mechanics than Battlestar and Resistance combined. <laughs> you know, like, in the beginning, you can also have players help you. So it'll be like, hey, Anthony, help me fight this goblin, and I'll split the treasure with you. And since the goal of the game is to hit level 10, I go up a level, Anthony fights, I help him. Then when we're both, like, level 7 or 8, like, hey, one level 2 monster, and you're going to win. It's like, you want to help me? I'm going to murder you! I'm going to use my thief, I'm going to steal your stuff, I'm going to betray you, I'm playing every card in my hand to destroy you. It's the worst thing. It's like... Well, that's and that's the fun of... That's what a munchkin player in D&D does. That they just... Hey, we're friends, we're buddies, we're going along. You know what? I'm taking your stuff. It's like the game is the <laughs> essence of Chaotic Neutral, though. Where it's, we're friends, I'm murdering you. Oh, you're level 6 again? We're friends again! Oh, you're level 9? Murder you! Like... It's like bipolar the game. <laughs> but it is, the fun of that game is you don't take it seriously. It's fun, it's light, it's it's puns, it's humor. The artwork I find is really great. Um, it's random. You're, you're pulling up random cards to make a random character. You're facing random monsters, random curses, random things that are popping up. And then how you play the game is also random. Like I said, you have friends, you have enemies, enemies, friends, frenemies as the game goes on, and the four of us actually got to play the game together. Yeah, I'll, I'll say you're right about those random curses, because a lot of those were flying around the table when we were playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we reached level 9 in about 15 minutes. Yeah, about that. Which sounds <laughs> like it's pretty par for the course, and then 45 minutes at level 9. I'm like, Come on! And then Dan, who wanted the game to end... <laughs> I'm Seriously, though, he keeps saying he wants the game to end, and he's playing cards that prolong the game. Because I wanted you to feel the hate. I wanted you to come to the dark side. I no, it's good. Come towards the light, Clarice. You're punishing yourself, man. <laughs> I'm willing to do because I'm a friend. I'm willing to hurt myself for you to realize this is terrible, and I should never do this again. Chaotic neutral to the oh chaotic neutral game. <laughs> Dan oh. promised he would never chaotic neutral a game, and man, did he ever chaotic neutral that, that game. That game brings out the worst of every human being ever. That's a good game. Now, if you want to see the worst, you should play uh, Cut, uh, Cutthroat Caverns. Now, that is a total stab-you-in-the-back kind of game. Yeah, that's just like the same mechanic, it's a, almost, it's but a, yeah. not as funny at all. And it's more <laughs> realistic, whereas Munchkin's like, hey, I'm fighting a, a undead clown. Like, ah, okay, but like this is you're actually fighting a monster, and you'll actually die, and you'll be out of the game, and... So that's a little more tragic. Yeah, it's basically the same idea. I'm going to fight this monster. If I get him, then I get this particular amount of treasure. I move up my level, whatever it is. And then everybody else plays cards. Just, you know, no, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yes, they do. No, you don't. <laughs> that sounds fun unlimited. Yeah, you would hate it. <laughs> I, I already hate it. I haven't even played it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like it either. But um, 
I like Munchkin. I don't know. I like I'd Munchkin play. too. I I've picked up all the regular core sets. The fun thing about Munchkins is the flavors to it. So there's space. There's cowboys. There's spies. There's pirates. There's Cthulhu. I mean, really, pretty much anything you could think of. There's superheroes. You can combine the core sets. I personally don't recommend it because you have to really be careful. You're not diluting the deck too much. But I have all the base. Yeah. Really fun. You get mounts. You get special items. And it's just a really good time. You don't want to play with too many people because then it gets a little bit long. And Sean was telling us that he had... Um, that there was new rules for Munchkin. Which I definitely want to check on because it made the game... It made the game faster in some respect, but it almost didn't really play thematically it's, as much. Yeah, it seems like everyone got to level 9 faster. Yeah. And then that's the lock now. It used to be like you would be fighting more in the midpoint. Now it's you fly up, but that last step is just brutal. Yeah, definitely. It's like I said, it's it's the first it's the first kind of board game I played. I like the humor, I like the artwork. Um, I like the the fact it's fun. I've played it with my family. My sister plays it, even my mom plays it, and she likes it too. Um, it's definitely a good entry level game. It's definitely not hardcore strategy, so you're, if you're looking for a strategy game, this is not what it is, but it's actually pretty fun to put a nice character in front of you. You don't get to see that in a lot of games. Kim, what did you think of it? I'm going to have to say play it, but maybe only once in each set. Only only because, I don't know, I, I think it just went its course, because when I first saw it, I was like, oh yeah, this looks cool. We played it like twice, and then after that I was like, play something else but it's it's interesting the concept but i feel like you know it's just loses it after a while like it's it's a good game to play when like you know you're bored and there's absolutely nothing to do but that's just my opinion i'm sorry a glowing <laughs> review from Kim. <laughs> she's like play it play it once yeah you'll be good at least you could say you played it once. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like when we played, I mean, uh, I was fighting tooth and nail. I actually wanted to win it just so maybe Chris can start to hate it. I wanted to win him over to my side, and uh, that didn't happen because I was playing against Chris, and that's just not how games go. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man, I, like, to me, this game is brutal. Like, I figure you should buy it and then burn it, and then you know you made the world a better place. <laughs> And, uh, and if any of your friends say, like, hey, you want to play Munchkin? You should just not be their friend anymore. You should Aww. stop following them on Twitter. <laughs> just walk out of the store. Never look them in the eyes again. That game is, that game is terrible, sorry, man. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Though I will say, as uh, one note, Munchkin Apocalypse. That's a little more interesting. That does throw enough of a mix into the base of the game of Munchkin where you also feel like if somebody like me is at the table, you're racing to win because you know that guy will make everyone else lose. So that does add a nice little feel, you know. It's no one has a reason to drag it out because the game can end in a moment's notice. Yeah, I Munch, do like that element. Yeah, Munchkin Apocalypse kind of takes from the disaster movie theme, and as the game is going on, there'll be cards that says "Open a seal," and as you open the seals, disasters kind of take place, and it affects everyone during that turn. So if you open seven seals, the war the world ends, and whoever has the most stuff, as we know wins yeah so it does have a different uh dynamic to it each game has a little tweak to it that's fun i have that one as well um this is addictive for me um i can totally see why you can it's a love and hate game because one of the things also it's pretty expensive um for for a small deck of 15 cards you're like probably paying like five bucks or something you're probably paying about 320 online and probably five bucks in a store a base set probably goes 18 online and 25 in the store um, 
if you're new to the game, it's definitely worth picking up. You can definitely show it to family friends. It has literally every flavor to it. So any genre you can think of, there has been a munchkin to it. Once you like the, if you like the artwork, if you like the puns, you'll definitely want to pick up more and more sets because it's just funny and nice to kind of own. It's almost like having a fun comic book collection with all that kind of D&D &D kind of humor or webcomic. Yeah, I can see it. Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, Anthony, what did you think of this terrible game? <laughs> <laughs> you mean the great game? You see how I'm caught in the middle here, guys? <laughs> it's not... I like it. I think it's a fun game. I would play it again. Uh, not with Dan, obviously. <laughs> I think you guys, everybody listening to this is witnessing the only time the four of us will ever play Munchkin together. And it was just because <laughs> Chris had the chance to win the Steve Jackson autograph. Because I don't think, if that wasn't on the table, I don't think this would have happened. I took that bullet for you, man. <laughs> I took that bullet. <laughs> but, um, but I like it. I mean, Chris had been telling me for a while I should get Margaret to play. Yeah. And I still think I should because it's fun. The, the text is fun. I think she'd actually dig the whole backstabby element at level yeah. nine. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I can see how, like, if that drags on for 30 or 40 minutes, it's like, okay, this needs to be over now. But for the first, like, two or three rounds around the table, it's fun. You're like, oh, come on, let me win. You know, or oh, are you out of cards yet? Uh, so I'm not at the point I would buy it yet, but I've only played it once. So I'm going to say I would play it again if it comes out and um, definitely consider it. I'll have to lend you the, the Apocalypse version and see if that yeah. if that plays well. Or if there's a specific genre you want to play. Like, yeah, you yeah. Know, there's definitely. a lot, right? Oh, there's a lot. I think there's probably about close to a dozen. They're going to come out with um, Munchkin Pathfinder. They're coming out with Munchkin Adventure Time. Nice. Um, they've also had the Guild, the web series, um, with Felicia Day. So that was a little sm a small pack expansion. Yeah. Like They even have like the Penny Arcade. Yeah, like a little yeah. mini pack, which is fun. That's pretty cool. Looking. They've had Munchkin Conan. They've had just really a, a large number of different genres because the it's pretty interchangeable in that way. All right, so yeah, Munchkin is a it's pretty awesome. If you're not Dan, so if you're if you're by <laughs> Dan's house and he's about to burn it, save it and give it to me because I'll enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or borrow it and play it. You know, for yeah. at least once and see which side of this fence you're on. And Dan played chaotic neutral, so he's got to put a nickel in the jar now. That game is chaotic. Neutral. Nickel in the jar, Dan. It's nickel in the jar. <laughs> All right, so the other game that Sean from Steve Jackson brought in is uh, Castellan, and that is the brand new Steve Jackson game that just came out. Um, if you've seen it, you probably know you've seen it. It's like little gray castle pieces and then uh, red and blue forts. And um, in the basic form it's in right now, it's a two-player game. And essentially what you have is two decks of cards for each player. There's the exact same cards on either side. Uh, you start the game with two cards, four cards. Four cards. Two from each deck. And then um, each turn you're going to pull one card of your choice. Unless one of the cards tells you to pull an extra card. And on each of those cards it tells you which of the pieces you pull from the pile. There are long walls, short walls, and then the uh, turrets. Um, and then basically you're just attaching them to each other and you're trying to create enclosed spaces. So an enclosed space um, obviously has four walls. If it's small, but it can be, you know... It can be oddly shaped, it can be rectangular, and the scoring basically works that however many turrets are touching the interior of that space, that's how many points you get. Um, so while the least amount of points you can get for a space you score is four, uh, I think one of mine was nine, and I played this with Chris, and I think one of yours was, you know, I think you hit eight or nine a couple times. Um, and once per game, you can double your score in one space. So if you're about to score a nine, you're like, I'm going to double this one, it's worth 18. Uh, 
I liked it a lot. We played it twice. Uh, it I'd say twenty or thirty minutes per play. It was it's pretty quick, and it's you know it reminds us a lot of dots. If you ever play that like you know, on paper and pen game when you're a kid, you basically you know you just you have the dots in the paper and you draw the lines to enclose them and see who gets the most dots. Um, it's like that, but like with cool little castle pieces. I got one question about this game. Uh, is anything like Munchkin? No. I'm in. All right. I'm willing to play. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's no uh, chaotic neutral element to it. I'm already liking this game more. Yeah. Yeah. I put a nickel in the jar, man. Yeah. <laughs> put a nickel in the jar. If we just get Dan to play a Munchkin. We could like raise enough money to like <laughs> cure cancer. <laughs> Um, but this Steve Jackson game is not chaotic neutral. It's very straightforward. It's very simple. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, though. It's kind of that whole like back and forth two player element that every game's gonna be a little different. But the mechanics are so simple, you could teach it in like five minutes to somebody. And every time you play, it's gonna be a little different. So I, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I like the game too. Um, once again, thanks to our friend Sean for uh, breaking that out for us. We were looking at it for quite some time, and. Uh, as Anthony said, it's just basically two-player games. So we talked about this last week a little bit. It's your dots mechanic. The components are good. It's fun to play. It's quick to play. You're just flipping cards, pulling the castle pieces as you flip them. You will use all the castle pieces if you do it right. <laughs> so uh, Which we did not either time. We're like, hey, we had one piece left. We made a mistake somewhere along the line. <laughs> yeah. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. And so uh, we moved on from there. I'd like to see the the next the next um, what would you call this a, a section a version because it's the identical things coming out but with yellow and green instead of red and blue right yeah it's basically you could buy either set and play two player but if you buy both sets you can play four players and that hasn't been released yet yeah he said next month which is a little odd because yeah you can definitely get a lot of play for two players but one it's just a color swap it's a palette swap there why I'm not sure why they didn't release both at the same time so you could play four. But I'd like to see it played for. For right now, it's a play for me. Um, it's not a buy. It's not addictive because there really isn't much to it. Um, it is still random. It is that still Steve Jackson, like what cards you pull, yeah. that's what you can build from it. When you uh, when you mentioned the two players to four players, that's actually exactly what Mage Wars did. Yeah. There's red and blue tokens, and it's like, hey, can we make this four player? Let's make yellow and green. Bam, four player game with nothing else. Yeah, it is a little annoying, and you could probably just buy two base sets and then use like quarters and nickels. Yeah, you could put, you could put a four. sticker on it. It really doesn't. It's yeah, not really that difficult. Everything else in the game is the same. The walls are the same. The cards are the same. Everything's the same. Absolutely. So, but for me, it's a buy. I'm gonna buy this game at some point. Great. I think. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think it's so easy to teach. I mean, I don't see a barrier to you know somebody's gonna be like, oh, a board game. I don't know, and I'm like, yeah, it's like dots. It seems very daunting when you look at the pieces, you look at the box, you're like, this seems very complicated. Had they come up with this structure, and then in the end, you're just making boxes. Yeah. And the more the more turrets are in the box where you place your little tower, the more points you score. You guys didn't play. You weren't there quite yet when we were playing that. So what do you think? Would you want to play it? Yeah, I mean, I would gladly play it. I mean, uh, and I, I just want to give a disclaimer here. I don't hate Steve Jackson games because they're making the remake of Car Wars. I don't get. You can do no wrong in my eyes if you're remaking Car Wars, but uh, you do I mean, realize that's Car Wars, the Munchkin expansion. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna go hang myself. Now. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean the game looks interesting. Uh, I like that concept. I mean the components look simple and easy enough, and I mean it's not too expensive of a game. So I mean if one of you guys pick it up, I'll gladly check it out. And maybe when the yellow and green set comes out, I'll pick that up, and we can get four of us at the table for the same game. Yeah, I would love to try four. Now, dots. Is it safe to say that I was too young for that? 
I don't remember ever hearing about dots. I don't know. It's something. It's kind of like tic tac toe or something. It's something you just doodle on the paper, like when you're supposed to be studying. Yeah, because yeah. I figured it's before my time. I think that game was invented with the the pencil, which as timeline told us was back in like seventeen ninety seven. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, it's basically you're just you know you're enclosing your space and then yeah. claiming it for your own. I mean, I would try it. Sounds like fun, but yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it's nothing super complicated. There's no necromancers or anything, but I'll find a way to get by. There are castles, so I'm still in. And for some reason, the the when you do finish, it does actually look pretty nice. You do have a, a full board in front of you. And that's what's hitting our table. And now for the feature review. In this episode, we'll take an in-depth look at A Game of Thrones, the living card game by Fantasy Flight. So A Game of Thrones living card game is a little bit like Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! and some of the other collectible card games you see, but LCGs have one nice, unique touch. In Magic, you can buy box after box and you're going to get random cards. You never know what you get. But with a living card game, every month they release chapter packs. You're going to get 20 different cards, 3 copies of each. So you know exactly what you got and you always have enough for tournaments. The best part? They're only about $15 a piece, so it's a really easy price tag to maintain for your gaming hobby. The Game of Thrones living card game has a wealth of options and a surprising amount of detail. Game of Thrones works like a lot of other card games. But here's what I like about this one. Instead of you doing all your phases and then your opponent doing all of their turns, you're actually taking turns back and forth. So you do feel like that you have to jockey for position. The game starts up with the first set round of sequence, which is the plot. Now your plot cards are gonna have three points to them. There's gonna be how much gold they grant, your initiative, and then your claim value. In addition, your plots are also gonna give you other abilities. It might make soldiers cheaper, it might allow you to search your deck for locations, it might even wipe the board of every character in play. So the plots really give you a strategic advantage. You're going to have a deck of seven of them, and you're going to cycle through as the turns go on. So if you do have a plot that does say destroy everyone, you might be stuck in a position where on turn six, you didn't play that plot yet, and you have the lead army. So in a Game of Thrones, you do have to strategize. Next up is the draw phase. Each player is going to draw two cards instead of the usual one. What's nice is it gives you a little bit more of an edge and it does help the speed of the game. The next step after that will be marshalling. You're going to collect all the golds from your locations, your characters, your plot, and any other modifiers. At this point is when you're going to start deploying the soldiers in your hand, equipping them with attachments, playing locations which will give you long-term benefits, and any other cards that have a gold cost. But what's good about that is if you have any gold left over, it's going to help you towards dominance. But we'll have more on that soon. After each player does their marshalling phase, you'll be taking turns back and forth. So say your opponent plays multiple guardsmen, you might know that he has more of a military edge. So you might decide to either put out military yourself or play intrigue and power cards to give yourself an edge, even though you'll be at a military disadvantage. Next up comes the challenges phase. This is where the meat of the game is, and you get to feel that vicious combat of Game of Thrones. Every turn, players are going to get to have three phases of challenge. Military, where when you win, your opponent has to destroy their soldiers and followers, so that's how you weed out your opponent's army. Intrigue allows you to steal their secrets, and by doing that, you take a random card from their hand and they have to discard it, so it really helps you cut down on any of their future plans. And the last one is power, and that's what the heart of the game is. Whenever you beat an opponent in a power challenge, you're going to take one power from their house and add it to yours. 
When you have 15 power amongst your house and all your ally cards, you win the game. So the power challenges are a critical part. It's one of the few games where you can actually steal the lead and take it back. Now, whenever a character declares a challenge, you kneel them. You turn it sideways, which is a mechanic we've seen in another game, but we can't use that term for legal reasons. Whenever a character blocks, he'll also turn sideways, like other games. After everyone is done with all of their challenges, you're going to go on to the next step, and that's dominance. For every gold coin you have left, and every strength of each character still standing after challenges, you're going to tally that total. Whoever has the highest is going to get an additional power for their house. So even by just having a strong defense, or even a lot of gold available at the end of your turn, you can still steal some power at the end of the game. Your final two steps is going to be the standing phase, where all your kneeled characters and locations are going to go back to their upright position, and then taxation. All the gold that you kept from until the end of the turn to help out for dominance, now is when you got to pay it up. So it kind of hurts to see those coins go, but it's worth it. Now, after that, you're going to just rinse and repeat each of these phases as time goes on until you get declared a winner. And what's cool is with the plot phase and the draw phase, everyone's doing it simultaneously. You're all doing it at the same time. It's not like most card games where one person will put down a card, draw a card. Everyone's doing it at the same time. So it makes the game a little bit more faster. The marshalling, the first player does by himself. Challenges also, and then with dominance, again, everyone does it all together with the standing and the taxation. So I think that's pretty cool with that. It makes it go a lot faster. Yeah, and it does add a lot of interesting points. Um, when we were playing one of our last games, Chris was actually playing as Baratheons. His plot, the initiative was pretty low. It was only a three initiative, but it gave all of his knights a bonus. So even though me and Anthony went before him... We knew what was going to be coming out on his side, so we had to marshal in advance, preparing for what Chris was going to drop to the board. You always know a little bit what's going to happen, but you never quite know what's going to happen because each deck works very differently. Uh, and there's a lot of different kinds of cards that you're looking at um, in your hand, too. So uh, the base set, and we're just going to talk about the base set because all the chapter packs and the expansions introduce tons of new mechanics. Um, it would take us hours to go through all of them. But in the base set, there are five types of cards. So there are your character cards, there are locations, there are uh, events, there are attachments, and then there are the plot cards that we talked about. Um, the majority of what you play on the board is going to be character cards or locations, and the character cards are what you use to attack or defend. Um, attachments will get attached to your characters uh, according to the rules on that card. And then the events usually take place according to whatever the card says. Some will say any phase, some will say marshalling, some will say uh, taxation, dominate, dominance. It really depends on what it says on that card. The cool thing, too, is that each of the character cards is very diverse, but they also change a lot depending on what you play on them. Um, each of them is going to have one of those three uh, aspects. It's either going to have the military, intrigue, or power. And then um, you can... You know, different things will change those depending on what kind of attachments you play, what kind of plots you play, what kind of cards other people play that might bring them up or down. Honestly, if you get into like the fifth or sixth round of this game with three or four people, you're going to be pulling out a calculator every time you attack somebody because uh, none of your characters will have their base stats anymore. They're all going to be different. Um, and then, of course, there is there are things like the cost to play a card. Um, it's going to vary 
again, depending on what you play. Some of the more advanced characters, you know, people like Eddard Stark or um, uh, Tywin Lannister, they're going to cost four or five gold to put out. And that's about as much as you're going to have a lot of turns. Yeah, and they're each going to have really diverse abilities. Like, take, for example, Eddard Stark. Like, each house has a unique keyword, so they all have, like, their own little mechanic that gives them an edge. And one of the Starks have Stalwart, where it's like, instead of dying, they just go to the top of the deck. So what's unique is Eddard is almost impossible to kill in this, which is a nice little twist. But um, one of the other things I enjoy, too, is, like, um, what... Anthony was mentioning before with the event cards, the fact that they're always in response to things gives you another nice little edge in this game, as opposed to waiting for a timing mechanic like in like Magic or some of the other games out there. It'll just like note, you know, this is only to be used during challenges, but you can do it whenever you feel. Or the response ones, like one of my favorites is a Lannister pays his debt. When one of your guys dies as Lannister, you just get to murder somebody that was part of that raiding party. So it really does have that like vicious Lannister feel to it, and that's one thing I enjoy. The game is just dripping with theme. And when you look at the cards, it seems like you're going to be doing three different types of challenge. A military challenge, an intrigue challenge, and a power challenge. But in fact, you also have to remember your spot in the turn, because while you can attack using those three challenges, if you do have the cards available, you also have to remember defense. So if you if you kneel your your men to use a military challenge, then they're not available to defend on a military challenge. So there is a lot of strategy on when and who you attack and when you defend or not attack at all and just hope that you can survive the attack and maybe win dominance at the end. And that was the one thing when we were playing against you that was murdering me. Because you were playing some of those plot cards where, like, your knights don't uh, kneel to attack. So it's like, oh, I'm coming at you for 26 points in military. <laughs> and it's just, I had to accept that people were going to die. There was nothing I could have done about it. It was a nice day. It, it was a pretty yeah. good day. <laughs> yeah, the end of that game, the table was gone. Everybody had a good 10 or 15 characters out, even after Valor Bulis. Yeah, and one of the things that I love about it is that you do feel like that big shift of power a lot of times. Like, at one point, Chris was in the lead with 12 points of power. We were at, like, four. We all started, like, ganging up on him until we all had about seven or eight apiece. Then as soon as one other person took the lead, that was it. It was, like, right back to, hey, Chris, you want in on this, man? We got to go get him. <laughs> Which is very true to the show yeah. and the books, of course. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, with this game, I'm not that good with the strategy. That's why when everyone was, like, getting seven powers, I was, like, one or two, and then when I lose them, because people started making alliances. Yeah, but what was nice, though, was uh, you even came back out of nowhere. You had zero power, and then at the end of one turn, you had, like, five. And then I lost those five at the same time. <laughs> well, I mean, it's Game of Thrones. That's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> the power is fleeting. <laughs> but um, what, I, what I also like about this game, it, it's a good two-player game, but it's more interesting with, like, three and four, because you have the option of a council. So what you can do is, um, you can do be like the Master of Coin, where at the beginning of your turn you get more more gold, is it right? Yeah, you get two more coins. Two more coins. Then there's like the King's Guard, which gives you like plus two strength. And what else is there? Um, there's also like the Keeper's Secrets, where you get to draw an additional card. And then there's one for each aspect that'll give you plus three in challenges of that type, for power, for intrigue, and military. So even if you only have a couple of like low point military guys, 
by taking that part at the small council, you now can defend yourself successfully turn after turn, which is a nice bonus. And and then after everyone does, like, when it comes to the taxation, everyone puts what their piece of the council back, and then they get to choose. That way you're not stuck with something. Say, instead of gold this next turn, you wanted to do something with intrigue or, or strength, which I think is interesting. Yeah, and there is a cool component there, too, because... On the board, there's arrows. So if you pick, you know, one of the four um, components in the middle of the board, it's going to point at another one, telling you, you cannot attack this person if they take that component. So if somebody who is picking on you because maybe you have no intrigue, maybe you're playing Starks and you have no intrigue at all, and you know that they have a lot. So it's Lannisters versus Starks. And the Lannisters pick their piece first. Uh, you can be like, all right, well, I'm going to pick the one that makes so you can't attack me. You have to support me. Um, at the same time, if you play opposite each other on the board, you get double points if you defeat them. So if you decide, I can beat this person, and you pick the piece opposite of them, then you can double up your points, which, especially towards the end of the game, is really useful if you're very close to victory. And that's what I like about jockeying for position in this game, because you can be in the lead, and I can win initiative on my plot card and say, no, I'm going to pass first player to you. So no matter what piece you take, I know I can go opposite of you to claim in those challenges. And that's one other thing that's a little interesting about this game, too. Um, we mentioned that when you're doing challenges, you know, you're going back and forth. If you're attacking with military, if you are attacking somebody that doesn't have military guys on their side, they can't block it. So they have to be able to match you in the skill. But for the challenges, when you attack, if it's a tie, you win. So you always got to be a little better than somebody on defense. The other thing that makes it interesting is, let's say Anthony is attacking me for eight points of intrigue, and I only have one intrigue guy to block with. Your th natural assumption will be for most games, well, why block it? If it's not going to matter, just let it happen. If a challenge goes unanswered, they get a free point of power. So if you try to turtle up a little too much, or you're afraid of losing your guys, you're actually going to be handing more and more of the game to your opponent. So unless you can make a huge power play at the end, you're going to actually be digging yourself into a hole you might not be able to get out of. And one of the great things about the game is it's so thematic down to the, how each house plays. Oh, absolutely. So if you ever watch a show or read the books, and no spoilers here, but the Starks are great uh, military tacticians. So when you play their deck, you're going to get a lot of military out there. Whereas the Lannisters are great for intrigue. They're able to kind of use subterfuge, get behind you, and stab you in the back. Mm -hmm. So when you play the decks, they play very differently, but they play consistently. So it's really a nice opportunity to try out different decks all the time, try out different houses, and see how they play against each other. Yeah, I find the Baratheons work really well if you've been drinking all day. It kind of feels pretty good. <laughs> it's a nice touch. I actually, um, I want to ask you guys if you have a favorite card. Mine are the Direwolves. Like, I like that you can attach it to Sansa and Arya and all them. Um, I believe you can attach it to different ones, too. They don't have to be... That person who owns them, right? Yeah, and if you attach them to their unique one, so if you put, like, Lady on Sansa, it'll be an extra bonus, yeah. Yeah. which is a nice touch. And yeah, I like and that. I really like the card that goes with the Dire Wolves, the, uh, the Kennel Master. Oh, God. And he basically gets plus one. I think it's plus one or plus two for every Dire Wolf that's on the board. Yeah, but, I mean, when you have, like, six of those in play, that guy yeah. is destroying. <laughs> yeah, so there's the four, there's the five, right? The five, one for each kid, and then there's so the... additional uh, and chapter packs. And, but I think in the base set, there's even like a couple direwolf pups. Yeah. So you like can get six or seven out, 
And then that kennel master will destroy everybody. And if you play that location, the kennel, which lets you search your deck, you pay like one or two gold and you get to search your deck for a direwolf card. Oh my god, that thing is brutal. Do you have a favorite card, Dan? I know you love the Lannisters. Yeah, pretty much anything with the Lannister logo works. Um, I gotta go, like, my top two are a Lannister pays his debts. Because when somebody comes at you and they, they feel like they won up to you because they killed, like, you know, some little house guard or something, and then you kill, like, you know, their leader, like, you kill Robert Baratheon with it, you know, you kind of feel, like, very Lannister power. The other I love is Tywin is, like, a living bank vault. This guy, every turn, you're putting two gold on him that you don't lose during taxation. So Tywin really does, like, have all the wealth of the rock if you let him go for about, like, six or seven turns. You can end up dropping your whole hand on him alone. And if you're a huge fan of the show, uh, just one spoiler. Tywin? Tywin is not as handsome on the card as he is in the show. <laughs> Because <laughs> most, most people... I tend to disagree. Those no. pork chop buttons, <laughs> things look good. Because, like, honestly, like, when I was when I was gonna, uh, getting ready to pick up the the uh, game, I was like, yeah, I want to be Tywin. And when you look at him, though, like, he they don't romanticize him as, as they do in the show. He's just a little bit more grotesque looking. And, like, just, like, a little bit more deformed, you can tell on Me the too? cards. Did I say Tywin? Yeah, I was going to say Tywin is a... The, both the those mutton chops so are looking good, good on Tywin. <laughs> Sorry. I'm talking... Yeah, I'm talking Tyrion, about the Tyrion. The dwarf. Yes. Yeah, the, uh, the art is based more on the books than the show. They do have an HBO version of this game. Uh, the only reason to really get that one is you kind of want to play this game and your girlfriend or friends are just like, oh, is it just like the show? And when you say, no, it's more like the books, and they go, what books? <laughs> That's kind of like the only reason. It's It works on the same principles, but they're not interchangeable. They don't have the same back, and you're going to get all those cards if you buy the base set anyway. And it doesn't it doesn't combine with the other sets. Yeah, exactly. So it's its own game. You do get the screenshots from the HBO show that, that are nice, but it's a very, very base level that is its, and it's its own game. So if you buy that, you'll have to co come back and buy the... The new the base set, level yeah. for the for the LCG. Yeah, it might be worth it. Like, uh, if you see it like somewhere like you know for like five or ten bucks, and you're wondering if you would kind of like the game, but I mean, if you're gonna spend anywhere like uh, the game online is about twenty five to thirty, and then full retail is forty. You might if you're gonna pay twenty five dollars for the HBO version, which is that's uh, MSRP. Just drop the forty, go for the full set. You get four houses instead of only two, and then you can build off of it. Mm -hmm. And we we should also mention that. Uh, uh, George came up with these stories for Game of Thrones um, because as a child he lived in he was he grew up in Bayonne and when he looked over at Staten Island this was what he imagined which surprisingly isn't very different <laughs> a lot of dragons around here and he actually said I think it was on Conan that uh, uh, he asked him so uh, have you been to Staten Island he said yeah and he's like well what did you think of it and he actually said he was just a little bit disappointed. <laughs> I know what you were expecting, man. I mean, that, that's our Staten Island. Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to brag, but uh, from what I'm saying, he actually based Littlefinger off of me. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I have secrets on all of you. Wait, what? <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I mean, uh, I definitely, I mean, I love this game to death. We, we played a few games not too long ago. I want to definitely get this into a monthly rotation. Like, I feel like this and Rune Wars are two games that you just got to sit down and play and enjoy that theme and that feel, you know. But it's it's not a quick game when you're playing four players because with so much power being shifted, 
if somebody really runs like you know rickshaw on everyone it might be like an hour and a half game but we've played it where it's like three and four hours for a four-player game yeah every game we played with four everybody had like 13 power when the game is over and that takes a long time and there's so much to explore with each deck so every time you pick up a new deck it really is almost a little mini game to try to figure out how to play it and we should also mention that obviously you can play the straight deck right out of the, right out of the box but you can also go ahead and construct a deck yeah and that's one of the things too like we've barely done any modification to these starting decks we've gotten chapter packs and we're like all right i'm going to throw in these two guys and or i'm going to add this one location even with that little bit of modifying we did feel like it changed the game and it made it like, you know, you play the Lannister deck two, three times, you throw in five new cards, you're finding a whole new dynamic with those guys. So it's really fun for that alone. And the one card I can't wait to use is Jakeen Hakkar, the man. And this game is um, definitely has its tournament play. So you can check it out online and see hardcore players constructing decks and just whipping through it really quickly. Yeah, and one thing that's pretty cool is when they have the world tournament, those winners actually get to design a card for the sets. So you'll notice on the bottom of certain cards, this was designed by the World 2009 Championship players, which that's awesome alone. I mean, that has to be fantastic bragging rights. All right, so just out of curiosity, what do you guys think about this game? What are you going to rate it? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, buy it. I buy it. Uh, I own a copy of it. And actually, looking at my copy right now, actually, um, (laughs) to the point of addictive, because again, yeah, like, like you're saying, Dan, it's, you know, every now and then I'm like, why are we playing this game? And, like, having pulled it out of the box right now, I'm like, why aren't we playing it right now? Why are we recording this? This is such a waste of time. We could be playing Game of Thrones. So, yeah, this game is fantastic. It's probably one of the best card games I've ever played. Uh, I played Magic back in the day. I don't like the CCG aspect of it. It's expensive. It's impossible to keep up with everything. You know, I don't like recycling cards every six months. Um, LCG is fantastic. And Game of Thrones, like, you know... I love the show so and the book, so I can't imagine a better game for me. Probably the best thing we can say starting off is the LCG is just an amazing you know, mechanic, dynamic uh, setup for these types of games. You get to play really every part of the universe. And obviously this is not the only one. There's also Star, Star Wars and there's many others. Um, yeah, Netrunner, Lord of the Rings. So there's a lot of different games in, with this, this type of setup. Um, definitely a buy, and as Anthony said, definitely addictive. If this show is, if you're a fan of this show, it would be very easy to pick up every pack, every sleeve, every item. The components are great quality. The small council comes with really nice little figurines, and it's something that you'll play over and over again just to explore all the differences. I would like to say that this is a, a play it, um... I don't know about owning it, because I know I can get a handful buying every single deck pack and, like, uh, expansion, but um, I enjoy it, and it does take a while, but if you if you like to play Magic and, like, most of those, what, like, CCG games, you'll probably like this, this a lot, and it's going to save you a lot of money, because it's not like Magic where you're going to invest, like, a grand in a deck. You know, like, it's it's much simpler and easier. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I mean, I'm going to say the game is a must-buy, too. Like, I mean, between the components, like um, like Chris mentioned, the pieces with the small council, we were even able to paint a few of those up to put a little bit of shine on them and to make them match the art of the cards. So that was pretty sweet. And 
Um, the cardboard of the power and the coins is only so-so. I'm going to make a suggestion that if you get this game, go to musedfable.com. M-U-S-E-D-F-A-B-L-E.com. We bought gold coins on there that one side has a crown, the other side has a dragon. And if you get 12 gold during your marshalling phase and you're just clicking those coins and counting it out, it does give such a fantastic feel to this game. Like, we've been using those coins in every game. We were playing Suburbia with those coins, which was just silly, but it's still great. It's, they're like, so much better. Oh. Yeah, I don't have them yet, so I pull mine out. It makes me sad. Yeah, I mean, if, if they made, like, special edition Game of Thrones coins... Ooh. Yeah, that would be fantastic. But these are very well fitting for what we're using for. Coins. You should be paying the iron price. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can just murder someone and take their copy of Game of Thrones, you might... <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's really worth doing 10 years for 40 bucks, but, I mean, it is the iron price. You will get respect. That being said, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an absolute must-buy. Love this game. And like I said, uh, I'm hoping we can get monthly play. I do want to give people one other warning, though. With the tournament scene... If you see other people playing, just like Magic, you might be like, oh, they're playing the game that I have fun with. Can we have fun and play? And you're going to get destroyed and don't understand why you hate this game for a little while. It does happen. That's the downside of the tournament play. But outside of that, an absolute must get. All right, man. Uh, you know, we talked about this game for about like half an hour now. I really want to play another round. Are you down? Yeah, let's do it. I'm in. Yeah, I call dibs on Targaryens. I'm Lannisters, guys. Starks. Going to lose. Wait, you changed my mind. I want to Starks. No! Alright guys, we're gonna go play another couple of rounds of Game of Thrones, so have a great night everyone. This is Dan. This is Kim, I'm Starks. This is Anthony. <laughs> this is Chris, we'll see you soon. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.